Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts with today's leading experts, bringing powerful information to support personal evolution. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll discuss the evolutionary potential of the human brain. For all our copious experimentation, tests, and studies on the human brain, we really don't have a handle on what it is, how it works, what it's hooked up to, or for that matter, where it resides. We used to think it was only in the cranium. Now there's evidence it's also in the heart, gut, and spinal cord. It's been viewed as a processor and storage unit, the residence of a person's mind. But now there's talk of it being connected to the collective consciousness, as well as that of the individual in which it resides. Are the keys to the evolution of humankind hidden in the unknown recesses of the brain? What does it connect to? What is its role in spirituality and unity? With us this hour to take a deeper look into the human brain is Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Dr. Taylor is a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist. In 1996, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. Her memoir, My Stroke of Insight, which documents her experience with stroke and eight-year recovery, spent 63 weeks on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list and is still routinely the number one book about stroke on Amazon. Her new book, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and Four Characters That Drive Our Life, 
is now available. Her website, drjilltaylor.com. Jill, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. I'm excited to be with you, Gwilda. Uh, we should have a good time today. You've, you've had I, quite the experience. I think so. And, you know, what greater than to get to talk about mission evolution, the evolution of humankind. I mean, this is it for me. So I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, I think we're a wonderful match. Um, what? Let's start with, what is a neuroanatomist? A neuroanatomist is someone who studies the anatomy of the brain, the anatomy of the nervous system, and the way the different cells communicate with one another inside of our brain. So how'd you, how'd you become drawn to the field? This was before you um, suffered a stroke, yes? Yes, yes. When I was a little girl, I had a brother who was 18 months older than I am, and he was very different from me in how we would, we would experience reality and then talk about it afterwards. So I just became fascinated that two people could have such different perspectives on what had happened. And eventually he would be diagnosed with the brain disorder, schizophrenia. So for me, it was kind of, it was a gift for me in that it gave me uh, a real interest in how does our brain create our perception of reality and, and how Two people can be very different. That's 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 impressive. So did you come to understand him and schizophrenia better as a result of studying the brain? I certainly gained an appreciation for how two people really perceive completely differently. And then at looking at the cells of brains of individuals who would be diagnosed as normal and comparing that tissue to brains of individuals diagnosed with schizophrenia, schizoaffective, OCD, panic, and anxiety, then really looking at which cells are communicating with which other cells with which chemicals, and then in what quantities of those chemicals, and things are different. So we are actually wired differently. Do we come in wired differently? <laughs> We're talking the nature-nurture thing. Or do our childhood experiences um, impact it? Yeah, it's a combination of both. We know that an individual has to have what we call a predisposition toward having one of these illnesses. But at the same time, generally, there is a um, an ongoing physiological experiential phenomenon that acts as a, a trigger or as a uh, as a trigger for the disorder to actually come online. Once the disorder has come online, uh, is there a way to revert it back to where it's just a predisposition versus a function, uh, you know, operating disorder? I think that depends on on which disorder, how severe it is, and at what point it comes online. Because if someone is, is differently wired, let's say we're in the womb for nine months, and during the sixth week, something happens where mom gets the flu. And during that period of time, whatever the normal processing of development may be interrupted. And then for the whole rest of the time after that, it's not like the, the fetal body will go back and reprocess what went wrong. From that point, there's going to be a, a, a new road 
taken, if you will. And so something like that is going to be more biologically ingrained as opposed to someone who may experience a, a trauma during the third month of gestation, or I'm sorry, the, the third trimester. Interesting. Interesting. And something can happen all along, right? Even as adults? Oh, absolutely. There's there's always an opportunity for rewiring is ongoing. The neuro, the neuroplasticity of the brain is ongoing. The ability of the brain cells to rearrange which other cells they're communicating with in network can all completely shift moment by moment. And normally we call that learning. So whenever we're able to learn new things, it's because the brain cells are actually communicating, rearranging their their association and communication network at a cellular level. So is the brain confined to the head um, or do we think with other parts of our anatomy? Well, we do think with other parts of our anatomy, but the actual brain is uh, technically neurological tissue um, in, in con construct inside of the head. Now that we do have neurons in the heart. We do have neurons uh, in, throughout the gut. Um, but overall, the central nervous system is going to be made up of what we call the brain and the spinal cord. And then other more peripheral systems also do exist. And they interact, of course, right? Oh, yeah, they're all in constant communication. The The heart, the brain has the capacity to uh, slow the heart down or speed the heart up or to increase the volume of blood intake or decrease that. So we, we, we have these different uh, mechanisms for communication. And then the brain needs to know what's going on in the gut and vice versa, because the gut is completely responsible for bringing in the nutritional value of the entire body. And does that happen on an energetic level as well as a physical one? Well, when you think about energy, neurons communicate through a, a phenomenon of transferring uh, certain mole molecules with different charges, negative or positive, across a membrane. And when that happens, the inside of the cell shifts in relationship to the matrix in the external world so, uh, for that cell, the external world, the extracellular matrix. So this is technically described as an electrical phenomenon. And so electricity, this, this shift of energetic, how does this all happen? Is it all merely chemical? If it were all just merely chemical, what's the difference than between a organism that is alive and an organism that is no longer alive. So energetic is, uh, is completely a part of the overall, <coughs> excuse me, got a frog in my throat. So ener energy, we are energy beings and chemical beings. So yes, as, as, as phenomenon shifts inside of the body, both the chemistry and the electricity uh, or the energy shifts. Amazing. What's differing functions of the left and the right hemisphere of the brain? So the two hemispheres in the brain are essentially identical at birth. And when you consider what are we born into, we are born into the present moment. We don't have a past experience and we don't have the experience, the phenomenon of a, a future 
So we're all in the right here right now. And then the right hemisphere keeps processing information in the right here right now, while the left hemisphere transfers information into our past experience, makes a comparison and says, have I ever had this experience before? And is there any reason for me to push away from it? So the right hemisphere is going to be a right here right now, and the left hemisphere will be linear over time. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. So um, these we end up with two processing machines that are completely different in the time span within which they're functioning. And then the left hemisphere creates an identity of individual and self and language and begins to interact in the external world with all the information coming in from the external world being processed through the identity of me, the individual. The right hemisphere doesn't have me, the individual. So the right hemisphere has the experience of the present moment where I am as big as the universe. You had a severe hemorrhage on the left hemisphere of your brain. Um, we have a, uh, two minutes and some odd left in this segment, and if you don't get done doing it, we'll, um, we'll carry it over into the next. But my question for you is, would you mind sharing that experience with us? Well, on the morning of the stroke, uh, I was 37 years old. I had a major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I watched the circuitry of my left brain go offline. So I lost my ability to communicate with language. I lost the boundaries of where I began as an individual. I lost all perception of my past and my future. So I, instead of my normal perception of self, I shifted into the experience of being as big as the universe. All I had was the present moment and the experience that I felt was nothing but pure love. And for me, it was a blissful euphoria that I absolutely loved. And I did not feel a sense of, <clears throat> excuse me, urgency while my left brain was slowly going offline with all of my abilities to communicate in the external world. Did that happen kind of all at once or did it come and go? Um, it waffled on and off over the course of four hours. Uh, the hemorrhage that I experienced was a slow bleed. And so slowly over the course of those four hours, I became less able to communicate with the external world because essentially groups of circuits were going off one at a time. And then I would lose that ability in order to function. So over the course of four hours, I shifted in and out. I describe it as waffling in and out of the consciousness of the blissful euphoria of the present moment and then reconnecting to reality saying, oh my gosh, I got to get help. I got to get help. And, uh, but at, by the end of that four hours, I did get help. And uh, when I woke up later that afternoon, the left hemisphere was completely offline. When you were going back and forth, when you were in a euphoria and then popping back into linear reality, was it very jarring and um, um, what were you experiencing? Uh, Oops, we're going to pick up on that question on the other side of a commercial break. Uh, so, but it is time for a break. Jill and I will return shortly, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network. 
www.xzbn.net and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. family style deal because i want a bite of your big mac and i need some of your quarter pound i'll try your filet of fish there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages message and data rates may apply reply stop opt out the pandemic has been hard on all our kids new studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help that's right millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the united states cannot read at grade level here's the good news your child can be reading in just 30 days guaranteed with hooked on phonics even if your child has been struggling hooked on phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed and right now you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the true functioning of the brain? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. We're brainstorming with Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Her website, drjilltaylor.com. So, Jill, we were just about to get into what was that experience like as you were going back and forth? It was actually really interesting because when I was in the blissful euphoria of the right hemisphere present moment, that's all I had. I had no recollection or disconnection, feeling of disconnection. It was it was just a complete feeling of, of love. But then as the left hemisphere would come back online, then I would feel myself re, re-engage with detail in the external world. So it wasn't that it was jarring. It was like turning from channel to channel and realizing oh my gosh, I've, I've got a serious problem. I've got to get help. And then I would do my best to re-engage as much of my left hemisphere as I possibly could in order to try to get help. But then again, the channel would get shifted and I would exist back out in euphoria. So it certainly gave me an understanding that, that, you know, we hear about these people who have had major hemorrhages and who have died, uh, alone. And it's for me, it would not have been a, a horrible experience. It was actually very blissful and very peaceful. Do you think that this phenomenon is somehow connected with the near-death experience people have? I I don't. I 
I think that I nearly died that day. And, but that's as far as it, the similarities go, as far as I'm concerned, I did not experience a light. I did not experience myself out of my body watching myself. Um, so I didn't have any of those phenomenon. Um, I, but to me, again, all of that's going to end up being circuitry, which cells went offline, allowing me to have which other additional experiences. So, um, I think that, that the brain is made up of cells and that every ability we have, we have because we have cells that perform that function. So I can speak language because I have cells that perform that job. And if, if perhaps certain circuits let would in the left hemisphere would relieve their inhibition off the experiences of the of the right hemisphere for people to have those other experiences of near death uh, that didn't happen for me so so yes and no so how did your concept of the functioning and purpose of the brain change um, after your uh, stroke um, I don't think I, well, I think that the, the greatest gift that I received was, you know, I had had, uh, decades of training in the brain and how the brain works at a neuroanatomical level, structurally speaking. And I have a consciousness as my physiological, uh, functioning of this beautiful brain. And what I gained was that as the left hemisphere went offline, I got to experience my right hemisphere without any of the uh, inhibition from that left hemisphere. So all of those circuits didn't just go offline, but they released their inhibition off of what was going on in my right hemisphere. So I had the opportunity to experience what is it like to exist in an absolutely silent mind with absolutely no language directing me into organizing the external world for five full weeks. And that was from the morning of the stroke all the way through till two weeks after surgery when the surgeons went in and removed a blood clot the size of a golf ball. And then my brain did have an opportunity to recover. But for five weeks, I just existed in the present moment, blissful euphoria of a silent mind. And it was really beautiful there. We hear about people losing their ability to speak during a stroke, but it never occurred to me that we'd also lose the language in our in our mind. Yes, yeah. <laughs> some some do, some don't. It depends on where the damage is. What was that silence like for you? Oh expansive and open and beautiful it was you know there's there it's like for me it's kind of like that peacefulness that i feel when i'm out under the stars uh and i'm out in the country where there's there's only sounds of nature and i just open my heart and i just feel totally expansive to all the energy of what is in the present moment and it was just it was just really beautiful there it was just incredible peacefulness do you feel that you have a handle on that place now that you wouldn't have had without the stroke 
Oh, absolutely. Now I know where I'm, where essentially I'm going. What, where, where is my goal? People say, well, you know, when you meditate, where do you go? And it's like, well, you know, half, uh, half the time I'm fighting with my left hemisphere, trying to make it quiet. And then I, you know, I'm half to looking at my watch in order to figure out, uh, am I, is my time up? <laughs> you know, so, so I know that I, I didn't have any of those distractions. And so now, now that I know where my ultimate goal is, I actually come from that place into my new life instead of being in my old life going trying to revisit that place that that I I found so it's much easier for you to access now than it would be before yes I I pretty much exist in that place and then I come back into the real world to function like a normal person I wouldn't have to want to have a stroke to get there but it sounds lovely Yes. What what new understanding do you have about the two hemispheres of the brain as a result of your experience? You know, I've had so many people ask me, how do I find that peace? How do I find that that place of peaceful quietude inside of me? And because I was going from the right hemisphere back to rebuilding the left hemisphere, and that took me eight years to, to become 100, 120% functional again, um, trying to come up with a tool to help people find their way from their left brain into their right brain piece was, was a challenge. And then I realized that most people believe that, that we have, have one emotional system and that the left brain is the emotion and that the right, I'm sorry, the, the right brain is the emotion and the left brain is the rational brain. And that's simply not true. We have emotion in both of our hemispheres. And once I realized that people didn't realize that, that gave me the cue to helping people understand that we have four major modules of cells inside of our brain, groups of cells that function in in subsets, if you will. So we have our left thinking brain, which is our left rational brain that interacts with the external world, with language, and I have an identity, media individual, but I also have left emotion and that left emotion is about my past and my future. So it's all my pain from the past as well as my fears of the future. And then the right hemisphere has right hemisphere right here, right now, present moment, experiential emotion. What does it feel like to have the clothing on my body? What does that feel like? How much humidity is in the air? The experience of the present moment is that right emotional tissue. And then right thinking tissue is the connection to that which is greater than I. It's kind of it, that is the consciousness of the universe, which is inside of every cell of my body, as well as in that right thinking tissue. So when I meditate, my ultimate goal is to quiet the voices of my left character thinking and to shift into the right thinking tissue that connects me to all that is. How have we gotten to where we, it seems to me that we're very imbalanced, you know, we're very left brain at this point as, as, a, as a culture. Um, how did that happen and how do you get out of that? Well, it, it happened naturally as uh, the boomer population in particular is, of which I, I am at the tail end of, um, but we valued materialism. 
And the left hemisphere is all about reward from the external world. So we began caring about materialism and getting things and doing things in the external world. And we, we weighed that over the value of the, the time spent with family. So the boomer population of which, um, uh, you know, there's millions and millions of us now, um, we were willing to sacrifice our time of rest and re refueling with family in order to put in our 60 or 80 hours uh, a week. And then we started wearing those dark circles under our eyes as our badges of honor. And it just became the tradition of our culture. So the more we valued the external and materialism, which is what the left hemisphere values, the less time we spent in the peaceful refueling the pause in the really establishment of meaningful relationships and connection, which is what the right hemisphere values. So we really ended up skewing ourselves off to the left and we're still in that left hemisphere skewed dominance of, of our society, which it has a hierarchy of, of money, a hierarchy of everything, a hierarchy in government, a hierarchy in business, a hierarchy in academia. So we function on that left brain hierarchy and, um, and, and we just, we just put more and more and more and more of our time and energy into achieving those values. Is the brain like a muscle in that the more time you spend in one area, the more built up it gets to the detriment of the other? Uh, to a certain degree, it's kind of like that in that cells run in circuits. And the more often you run a cellular circuit, the stronger that specific circuit becomes. And then eventually it can become so strong that it can then begin to run on automatic. And so that's how we get habitual thinking and emotional patterns of response to what's going on in the external world. And then we're just a passenger, yes? Uh, some of us are, are more reactive uh, than others, but um, we do have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be, but we do have to be willing to do that. We have to pay attention to the details that will help us achieve um, uh, uh, more control and less automatic uh, automaticity, if you will. As we choose to do that, whether we use meditation or whatever else, do we then expand our options as uh, how to get back to the right brain? Well, it's kind of like a control board. So if I am willing to pay attention to what is running on automatic in my left hemisphere, um, then yeah, absolutely, then I have the ability to to purposefully inhibit some of that automatic reactivity, as well as those thoughts and ideas, allowing that to stop inhibiting what's going on in the opposite hemisphere so that that can become more predominant. Was your concept of reality impacted by the, by the experience? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I used to um, think that, that I was real. <laughs> I know that sounds a little weird, 
Um, but when I lost that group of cells in my left parietal region that define the boundaries of where I begin and where I end, and I recognize that I have to have a small group of cells in my left hemisphere in order for me to perceive myself as separate from the energetic flow of the universe, uh, that is a mind-boggling lesson in reality and the value of me, because that means that I am both the center of the universe and I am merely a speck of dust, uh, starting us. So, so it was profound, absolutely profound and has permanently shifted how I view myself in relationship to, um, uh, my, my importance, put it that way. So you've kind of come out of the thinking that you're an island into being more part of the group. The group oh, mind. well, I'm, I, we all are, you know, we are all a part of the cosmic consciousness and I just no longer place uh, all the value on the me, me, I, I, me and mine. Um, I'm, I'm more of a we and us thinker. <laughs> I, I care now so more it, about about the mission of evolution. That's why really you <laughs> appeal to me so much. It is time for a quick pause. Jill and I will return to our discussion shortly, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exxon.com xzbn.net and the Xzone TV channel www.xzone Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gulduwiyeka, and the other resources I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. We're speaking about the evolutionary potential of the human brain. Her website, drjilltaylor.com. Dr. Taylor, um, you, uh, you speak of a brain huddle. <laughs> what is a brain huddle? So when I think about um, these four modules of cells inside of our brain, um, I, I actually give them identities because they are identities. And what I realized when I lost the thinking identity and the emotion identities of my left hemisphere, and I became really clear on who the two uh, characters are inside of my right hemisphere, which is going to be my right emotion and my right thinking. So I divide the brain up into these four modules of cells, these four um, characters. And, um, and so, so I'm going to run through those really quickly. Um, and you'll probably recognize each of these because we all have all four. This is brain anatomy. So um, the, the left thinking, I call that character one. And that character is the part of us that organizes information about the external world with judgment, but without emotion. So it is looking, it is creating order. It likes to categorize and organize. It likes to control people, places, and things. Uh, it defines what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. And that's our kind of type A personality, the one that goes to, to work and works. So that's, that's character one, left thinking. 
the left emotional tissue is all of our pain and all of our emotions from the past and our fear of the future. So this is little character two. And in order for me to feel resentment or guilt or shame or um, anything negative like that, I am reacting to things that have happened into my past and bringing that information into the present. So this is a part of us that is not necessarily very happy. It is only happy when the external circumstances in the external world are what we want to be. So this character has a preconceived notion that, well, I'm not happy today because the sun's not shining and I wanted the sun, sun to shine, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it is organizing information emotionally. Character three is the emotion of the present moment. And the emotion of the present moment is extremely enthusiastic and it is ebullient. It is connected to all that is because we are collectively a whole human family. The left brain is all about the me and the mine and the what I want, while the right hemisphere is all about the collective whole of how does it feel to be in the present moment. And so this is also a part of our alarm, alarm, alert, alert system as is the emotion of our left hemisphere. But this is about the experience of the present moment. So it tends to be our adrenaline junkie. Um, so that's good. And it's happy and it's interested and it's curious and it's creative and it's empathic and it, it likes to play in groups and it just likes the experience of the present moment. And then the character four is the right thinking tissue. And that's the part of us that is connected to the consciousness of that which is greater than we are. So call that a cosmic consciousness or uh, call that God, call that Allah, call that whatever fits inside of the structure of your left brain religious structure. So we end up having these four very unique and interesting characters inside of ourselves. And so one of the questions is, how do your left hemisphere hemisphere characters feel about or interact with your right hemisphere characters? What's it like inside of your own head? And it's unique and different for each of us, but the brain huddle is when each of these four characters come online and they're all in communication with one another, making the decision about who and how do we want to be in the next moment in order to have our next best outcome for how we want to live our life. So as you get that huddle going, you have more resources? Well, you have the resources of your whole brain. Whole brain living is all is about really recognizing these four characters inside of ourselves and recognizing at any moment, any of those four characters can call what, what I call the brain huddle. And it's particularly important if that little character two comes online, it is emotionally triggered, it is emotionally reactive, it is pushing away, it gets loud and it can get ugly. It's part of the alarm, alarm, alert, alert. How do I save myself from the present moment? But it just might mean that my partner just came in the door and scared me or, you know, these little simple things that really can, can terrify us. Um, but just knowing that I have these other parts of my brain that I can consciously choose to bring online gives me so much more power than just having to be caught up in the reactivity of that emotional circuitry. So is that the skill that, uh, your emergency people, um, have, uh, started to hone? 
to be in the in the middle of an accident scene, a trauma scene, and be able to drop in and be calm and available for the people that are freaking out. I think that that those particular emergency folks are more of the character three, the emotion of the present moment. So they're bringing information in. There's an alarm, alarm, alert, alert right here. But the character three of the emotional present moment finds approaches this with curiosity and interest rather than the character two in the left hemisphere that that has that sees the drama as a trauma and something very bad. So so and that's a beautiful example, actually, of of the different ways in which these different parts of our brain can can be activated. And a lot of people say, you know, I didn't go into medicine because I don't like blood. And it's like the people who, who are good at medicine, it's not necessarily that they like blood, but they don't hook into that negative circuitry wrapped around that experience. So if we're working with, you mentioned that in the, um, in the left brain, that the future is greeted with fear and apprehension. What about hope for the future? Where do we find that one? Well, hope is hope is uh, eternal, you know. So hope is going to be in the the knowledge of that of that thinking tissue of our right hemisphere that knows. Bottom line is, I'm a living being, and the phenomenon of this life is profound and an incredible gift. And when I exist in a state of gratitude for what is, whatever it is, then there's always hope. What impact does the ability to go into the right brain when we're in trauma and this and that have on the physical body? Say, for instance, heart rate, blood pressure, et cetera. Well, that's where our pause is. So the left hemisphere is essentially our cortisol stress circuitry. So when we push, 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 the character one is pushing for more money, more this, more that. The left emotion is in pain. It's in trauma. It's hooked in the past. And those are just push, push, push systems, which results in more cortisol being dumped into our bloodstream and our adrenal glands are on fire all the time for that alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I'm not safe. And that deteriorates the the actual health of the body. So shifting into the right hemisphere is the pause. And in the pause, the present moment is a perfect moment. The past might be scary. The future might be scary. But right here, right now, we are wired to exist and to function in the emergency of the right here, right now, and to approach it with a curiosity and grace that allows everything to slow down and for us to have healing happen at a physiological level. You mentioned that um, we end up being energetic beings as well as physical ones in, in, in the electrons where the electricity passes back and forth in the cell. That becomes an energetic exchange. Does that energetic exchange reach beyond our physical body and impact those around us? Well, there's no question in my mind without the cells of the left brain that defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. In the absence of that, I don't have a boundary. So I don't begin and end at the level of my skin. The energy that radiates from me mingles in with all the energy, all of the universe. So does my, what I do here influence do the thought patterns I create or the emotional patterns I create here radiate out from me? Of course they do. 
And does it come in from the outside as well? Do you, do you kind of develop an extra sense perception? Is that why we consider that to be in the right brain? Well, uh, yes. I mean, I'm I am a I am swimming in a sea of electromagnetic radiation at the consciousness of my right hemisphere. So I am being influenced by that as I am influencing it. Because we've spent so little time lately uh, in the right hemisphere, is there a learning curve where we can start to literally focus on the information we want to receive when we're in that state? Well, for, yes, absolutely. And I think that, that, first of all, recognizing that every ability we have is because we have cells that are performing that function, including my ability to perceive myself as a single solid separate from that energetic. So what actions can I engage in that allow me to feel that expansiveness? And then once I'm in that, become more aware and sensitive to what am I sending out and what am I receiving? Then do you need to bring that information back into the left brain to make sense of it and have it function in the ordinary reality world? Uh, I think it depends on what the goal is. Can you give me an example? Well, people that channel, people that um, are impasse and pick up information from other people, um, that's fine to get the information, but how do we bring it back to interface with the uh, reality that everybody agrees on that's more of your left brain reality? I'm afraid that question is beyond my knowledge base. Okay. So what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how, you know, it's the, the right brain sounds lovely to be in, but there's a real reason that we have another half of the brain. Um, and how do they dance together if you're starting to get esoteric information or energetic information? How do they share that information and how can that be useful in everyday life? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that that's, uh, it depends on what, what the informa what, what the format is of the information that you are, are perceiving. Um, I have no idea how the phenomenon of channeling, I don't know what's going on at, the, at an anatomical level. Uh, so I can't speak to that through the eyes of a scientist. Um, and, but other information's coming in as far as warning and danger, uh, that certainly is perceived by the skills in our right brain that allow us to detect phenomenon that is, if, if someone's lying to us, for example, we can perceive that through the right brain that their facial language is not matching their body language, not matching their tone of voice, not matching the words that they're actually communicating with. And so our right brain becomes a terrific lie detector in perception of another human being. And we get that communication at the level of our gut because we become a whole, we are an entire organism, an entire nervous system, not just a brain, a spinal cord and nerves that radiate out. So from the right brain is when we engage all of the intuition of the entire body and beyond. Yes, that is that is the function of essentially the right hemisphere. So that's where intuition is putting together all the bits and pieces of the data and saying, does it flow together in a, in a way that makes sense and that feels true? And if it does, then then we, we judge something as, as being truthful, not being, being uh, deceitful. And wisdom comes from that op more open, expansive, 
open to a consciousness that is higher or beyond uh, what we we are, but that we can tap into. We need to take another commercial break, but we will pick up on this on the other side. So don't you folks go away. This is Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exzbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. To find out more about me, Guldawiyeka, my school, and the other evolutionary tools we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Her website, drjilltaylor.com. Jill, we were just, where were we? We were getting into um, how the, we we described, or you described, how the um, right brain perceives whole body and present moment and can pick up maydays and dangers going on. Then how does it communicate that to the left brain? So there are over 300 million axonal fibers that are running between neurons in the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. And so the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere, uh, when you look at them structurally, the bumps are very specifically uh, named. Uh, They're called the gyri, and they all have a specific name. And then the lines in between those are the sulci, and those have names as well. So the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere are essentially mirror images of one another, but they're different in their overall development. So there are differences between the two, not just in how they function, but uh, but also, of course, then in that structure. So um, a group of specific cells in the left hemisphere will send fibers to that specific group of cells in the right hemisphere and vice versa. And that way then they know what's going on and one is usually inhibiting the other so that they're back and forth ricocheting, if you will, around in there about which cells are dominant in any moment in time. So the two hemispheres are designed to specifically coordinate their efforts as well as communicate so that what they know what's going on. That's phenomenal. And that's something that we can also develop. Is that true? Well, we can absolutely develop it because we can decide, I want to spend more time in my right hemisphere and I want to spend more time in the present moment. And that's really the easiest way to get from one hemisphere into the other hemisphere is to focus in the present moment. Focusing in the present moment allows that right brain to to become more open and expansive, to bring in more volumes of, of information without any judgment on it. So I 
I don't care in my right hemisphere what the weather is. I'm just uh, glad I'm alive and able to experience the rain or the cold or the warmth or whatever it is. The left hemisphere is going to come in and say, well, I'm going to judge that I'm only comfortable between these temperatures and um, I want the sun to be, you know, out and I don't want the rain and blah, blah, blah. So these two hemispheres are dancing in and out of one another and we absolutely have the power to choose to spend more time in the characters of the present moment if we want to become more balanced people. So it sounds like intention is very important here. Oh, intention is everything. First, awareness, willingness, uh, and then uh, in t- setting that intention, yes. Amazing. So we that means we have to become more conscious of what we're intending. Aren't we kind of unconscious in that? Well, I think uh, we're pretty unconscious in our left brain. And since most of us are spending so much time in in just running on automatic, we're not really thinking about what we're thinking. We're not thinking about what we're, we're feeling emotionally of the past. How much time do we spend in our past? Um, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. It's like that's become the default, my past or my future instead of the right here, right now, present moment. And right here, right now, it feels completely differently inside of our body. It's lighter. It's, it's uh, we are available. Uh, we're paying attention to simply being the value of being. We hook into our personal joy. We hook into our personal gratitude for our existence. And it's not about what is happening in the external world and how I judge it. It's merely simply experiencing the present moment. So what did your stroke teach you about spirituality? Well, I think that that it taught me that our ability to be connected to something that is greater than we are, which is kind of the ultimate goal, I think, of any religion, that the story of religion, the the dogma of the practice of religion is created by the left hemisphere cells. So if I'm Christian, there, uh, then I believe the dogma of Christianity, and that becomes the story within which I... I I function and I build my world and then I pray. And as I pray, um, research has actually shown that when um, uh, Buddhist monks uh, go into meditation or Francescan nuns uh, go into prayer, that what happens is a silencing, a quieting of the language centers in that left hemisphere. And then they experience uh, being at one with their God or being at one with with the, the consciousness of, of the universe. So, so it's not that something turns on, it's more that something turns off. And that is um, uh, just the ongoing language centers and all that routinizing circuitry of the left hemisphere. It, it makes things make a lot more sense to me as you're speaking this. So the religious, um, I don't want to say dogma, religious rituals yes. are designed to get you out of the left brain and into the right so that you can access Yeah, you know, one of the beautiful things about using um, a rosary or using a mantra is is the repetition of something. And so if, if I say a prayer or I say a mantra, 
and I repeat that over and over again, then it kind of preoccupies that language center from not really thinking about what did I have for breakfast and why did I pick these shoes that I picked because they're so uncomfortable. You know, I mean, it, it stops all that routinizing and it hooks it into a pattern that I can then shift my focus away from that into the experience of the present moment. And again, that's where my intention is set. My intention is not simply to hook into, uh, you know, uh, a repetition of a mantra. The intention is to use the mantra to kind of preoccupy that circuitry so I can expand into the uh, openness of that right hemisphere experience of my God or of my whatever it is I'm in, in search of. What did your experience uh, teach you about evolution and how has it motivated you in that direction? Well, uh, to me, evolution is um, just if you look at the the evolution of the mammalian nervous system, um, what happens is there's a critter and there is a nervous system of that creature. And then over time, eons of time, the kinks get worked out and they get stream flow between the different neurons. And then for the human system, other mammals are the addition of the emotional tissue on top of the reptilian brain. And so then over time, uh, the kinks get worked out between those emo that emotional tissue and the tissue below, and then new tissue gets added on top. And that's the difference between a human mammal and other mammals. So other mammals do have our emotional limbic tissue, but the human tissue has new tissue of thinking added on top. And that new thinking tissue is added on to refine and differentiate the tissue below. So the human ends up with these two emotional groups of cells and these two thinking groups of cells. And those match those four characters that I talked about. So to me, evolution then is working the kinks out between the tissue, the newly added on, and the tissue below, as well as the thinking to thinking of the two hemispheres and the emotion and emotion of the two hemispheres. And this is what I describe then as the, the brain huddle. The action of the brain huddle calls all four different groups of cells online. And when those all four characters are in conversation, making a conscious choice about what decision, what action do I want to exhibit in the next moment, then I begin to live a completely conscious life. And, and it's going to be the life that I choose because I have all four characters in that, com in that conversation. And how do you think that'll change our interaction with the world and each other? I think as soon as character four, which is our connection to all that is, the consciousness that that is of the universe, that peaceful, loving nature, as soon as that character gets called into a brain huddle, our decisions will be more loving. Mm -hmm. Dr. Taylor, what is your mission? Uh, I think my mission is to help people recognize that we have so much more power over what's going on inside of our brains than we have ever been taught. And if we truly want to find higher levels of peace in our hearts, recognizing these different consciousnesses and that we have the ability to know them, to create healthy relationships inside of our own heads, and then ultimately we will evolve into the people we want to be.
What do you feel was the greatest gift from um, the adverse experience of your stroke and eight years of recovery? I think that the greatest gift was relief from the pain of my past. I think as soon as my left pain went offline, I got to begin again and reevaluate everything without running it through the filter of my past trauma. Your recovery sounds like it was very long and difficult. What was the driving force for you? You know, it's interesting. Um, When I lost the left hemisphere and I was as big as the universe, I, I was, I was in just this, this state of, of being the universe and it was magnificent there, but there was this tiny little part of me that was saying, I survived, I survived, not in language, but this little impetus of joy that I was still alive and it did it was willing to go through the agony of recovery in order to try, even just try to to begin that process of recovery. You were unable to speak even to your loved ones. Did you recognize them? No, I did. I knew nothing. I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. And my mother had actually been my best friend throughout my whole life. So um, uh, it was a complete reset of me uh, emotionally and and any awareness. I, I became essentially an infant in a woman's body. Do you feel that that experience changed your relationships um, because you set aside the um, left brain functioning for eight years? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Everything changed. Um, I came in with love and um, I didn't, because I didn't have a left hemisphere, I didn't know who I had been mad at or who I had been, who I had resented. I I knew nothing. I was uh, rebuilding all a, a whole new world Um, And any of my loved ones who came back into my life and wanted to reconstruct um, a relationship with me, it it was uh, I had no reason to to not just be filled with love and joy in that in those. What a gift. We have less than a minute left. What would you like to share with um, Mission Evolution's worldwide audience? I I think just that we are this absolutely amazing miracle of some uh, 50 trillion molecular geniuses making up our form. And we are beautiful beyond uh, just uh, it's mind boggling. And when we allow ourselves to actually get to know the different parts of our brain, then we really get to embody the best of us and, and to figure out how do I take this structure of what I am and really evolve into what I want to be in the world. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, Jill. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us. Thank you, Gwelda. I appreciate it. Our guest this hour has been neuroanatomist Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Jill is the author of My Stroke of Insight and her latest book, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters that Drive Our Life. Her website, drjilltaylor.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. 
This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiyaka coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. <laughs>